Hey, we are going through Genesis, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're in Genesis 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our precious servants team walking down the aisle with an armload of Bibles. They will get you a Bible. As we look at our message tonight, the bittersweetness of life. Yeah, it was... You saw that we baptized some 53 people last week. What a blessing, Saturday night and all three Sunday services, just watching whole families follow the Lord and be transformed by the grace of God because that is that public outward confession that someone has decided to follow Jesus in the New Testament sense. But as we're looking at the life of Abraham and Sarah, we look at this incredible sweet season of life and then it turns bitter. Life is that way, right? It's up, it's down, it's in, it's out. You have a great time with your family through a season, and then it's a nightmare for a decade. <laughs> Maybe you've had a great year. Sometimes years are great years. I was uh, listening to this widower, and he was sharing about how his wife suddenly got sick quickly and passed away, and they had been married for many years. And he said, you know, through the years, you have these up years and down years and struggling years. And he said, wow, the year before my wife went home to the world, it was a good year. It was just a good year. And you're going to go through seasons in life. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. All the struggles all the challenges, all the joys are meant to bring us into a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with Jesus. Because honestly, he's the answer for all the ups and the downs, all the good and the bad and the ugly of life. And as we look at this story, first we're going to look at the sweetness of life. And who doesn't like good news? And who doesn't like good seasons? And who doesn't like babies that come on the scene when you're basically a, a, a new parent at the age of 190 years of age like Abraham and Sarah? In the first eight verses, we see the sweetness of life as we look at God's faithfulness. God is faithful to do what he has promised to do. This is in the aftermath of a real <laughs> pickle that Abraham and Sarah had gotten themselves into, lying to Abimelech about their relationship, and he took Sarah, and then he rebuked both Abraham and Sarah publicly and sent him out the door as uh, a man and a woman that loved God but had stumbled and really hurt their witness. But God doesn't give up on us. Isn't that great news? I can have a bad day or a bad week. I've had, for heaven's sakes, I've had bad months. Right? And God's mercy is there to pick me up, dust me off, and say, well, let's just keep going on this journey. Because perfection is not the standard for the Christian. It is the direction of my life through the ups and the downs as I continue to draw closer to him and be conformed into his image. But as we look at God's faithfulness in verses 1 and 2, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, this is important, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. He said this to her. He spoke this to her and Abraham. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, a hundred years of age, at the set time of which God had spoken him. God had promised it multiple times. He had waited for the perfect timing, 25 years. Now, I'd just rather the Lord tell me today what he's going to do tomorrow. Don't tell me today what you're going to do in a quarter of a century, correct? That's a big, that's a long time to wait. And I can get myself in all kinds of trouble in that 25 years thinking I need to help God out. And that's what happened to Abraham and Sarah when they pushed Hagar forward and he gets her pregnant. And we're going to see that that's a part of the bitterness of this story. 
But here they're enjoying the promise fulfilled after 25 years of a son. And not only a son, but as I've shared with you multiple times through this passage of scripture, this extended passage, that God's goal to wait 25 years, according to Romans chapter four, is so that Abraham and Sarah's bodies would be as good as dead reproductively so that God would bring a miracle. God would bring a miracle child. And the promise for them is hope for us because sometimes there's a barrenness in our life that we think is never gonna change. We think nothing's ever gonna break through. We think it's always this way. It's never going to change. Oh, wait, 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 wait. All things are possible with God. God can break through. Maybe he's been waiting for you to finally give up that you can't make it happen on your own. And you've gotta trust him. You mean, that's all I had to do was give up? Yes, that's all you had to do. Not give up in faith. When I was a kid, older classmen and bullies would take down the younger kids on the playground, pin their arms on the ground, put their knees on their arms and begin to beat on their chest until they would say, uncle. You remember this? Anybody have that experience? Okay, it's like on your chest. And they do that long enough and it really hurts. Now the whole goal is to be the tough kid. You know, just, I'm not gonna say uncle. And they're pounding away and finally you just can't take it. Tears running down your face. You go, uncle. Well, I learned early on, I thought this was a stupid game. So the kid takes me down and he's just starting to put me on the ground and he starts to thump. I said, uncle. And he goes, I, I haven't even done anything. I said, uncle, uncle. How many times do you want to say uncle? Your knuckle in my chest for me to have tears come down just seems stupid to me. I'm just going to, uncle. And I would rob them of the power that they had because I took away their whole goal. And that was to bring me to a place of submission through their pain. And when I just submitted in that sense, because I wasn't big enough to take them, I wasn't fast enough to get away from them. In life, it's that way oftentimes. We're gritting our teeth, tears are coming down our face, and we're trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And the Lord says, how long are you going to think that you can be fruitful and change this on your own? How long until you surrender that maybe you can't make the marriage what it needs to be, but you can say, God, please help me. God, please help me. I'm not the one that can rescue my 30-year-old that's out of control. God, please go after him. I, I've tried everything. I can't do it. There's something beautiful when you're overwhelmed with this sense of grace and peace and faith where you just open your hands from clinging to all this stuff that you think you've got to straighten out and you say, God, I can't do it. Can you do it? He goes, yeah, I'll do it. I was just waiting for you. Just waiting for you to surrender. Waiting for you to ask me, invite me to intervene in this situation. That's what happened for Abraham and Sarah. And what a celebration they had as Sarah became pregnant at the age of 90 or, and uh, 89, has a baby at 90. And then Abraham's joy in verses three through five. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
Abraham is faithful. God tells him, you're going to have a son. I want you to name him Isaac. I want you to circumcise him when he's eight days old. He goes, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give him the name God told me to give him. I'm going to go through the act to mark his body that he's among the covenant people and the covenant family. Then we have Sarah's joy in verses six and seven. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said Abraham uh, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. Everybody's gonna laugh. I laughed, Abraham laughed, and everybody's gonna laugh when they see a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old trying to figure out how to do, get through a night right, with no sleep. I have uh, kids with children they're raising, and they're always exhausted. Every time we talk to them, they're exhausted. They're exhausted. The kids are keeping them up through the night. You're just worn to a frazzle. I remember uh, when our children were little, and I started a church, and I started a school, and I was doing all this stuff. I was working my brains out. Then I would come home and spend the evening with the kids, helping them with homework. I was just exhausted. And every family picture for a decade, Tammy and I look like we're about ready to go to sleep in the family picture. We wouldn't even got the family picture, but it's the only thing her mother wanted for Christmas. So it was the torturous family picture every single holiday, every Christmas holiday. And what did it reveal? Two tired young people. Imagine you are 100 years old and 90 years old. God definitely had to give them some oomph. Maybe they were drinking Red Bulls before they were even invented to get through their days. And then we have the celebration that's a big event, the weaning of the child in verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now, they would wean a child between three years of age and five years of age back then. I mean, if a kid's old enough to come up and basically, you know, pick up a mom's shirt and begin to nurse, I would think, I think it's time to wean this child. And at the age of three, most believe, so at this time, here's a three-year-old to a five-year-old. We're not sure exactly. They have this celebration because who doesn't want to celebrate when a child is weaned? You know, you wean a child onto the bottle and then you wean them off of the bottle. And I remember both of my kids going through that time and them standing in front of the refrigerator going, bah, 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 you know, wanting their bottle as you're weaning them. Now, my brother and uh, sister-in-law, they had an interesting method that each time they weaned a child, they just dropped the child off at my mother's, the grandmother's. So the child cried at them for a week straight until they were weaned and then they would come pick them up. It was a great plan as far as they were concerned. But this was a celebration in which they were just, there's so much joy. There's a child whose name means laughter, the promise of 25 years that they've been anticipating and waiting. And maybe you have been in one of those seasons where God has just brought about wonderful things. You're now newly married and a child's on the way and all these promises of God are just like boom, boom, boom. And you're like, whoa, this is amazing. And then it feels like the walls, wheels come off. What happens? At this celebration party, at this weaning party here, something goes wrong. And it creates the downward spiral from a time of sweetness to bitterness, the bitter sweetness mixed together in life, where it says in verse 9, so we see Sarah's bitterness. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, who is Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had, born, she had born to Abraham, scoffing. It means mocking, making fun, teasing. He's a teenager. At this time, uh, Ishmael is 15, 16 years old. 
So he's a, he's a teenager. He looks at his little twerp half-brother, same father, different mothers, looks at his little twerpy, you know, three- to five-year-old, and he's mocking him. Maybe he's teasing him. Maybe he's harassing him. And Sarah, the mama bear, sees what Ishmael's doing. Now, there's been a bitterness ever since she gave Hagar to Abraham, and they had a son by the name of Ishmael. They've already had a big fight 15 years earlier over this whole issue. And now it reignites. Now, this, when you have his, hers, and ours in children, there's a lot of fuel for turbulence, right? Right? My mom's been married four times. My dad's been married three times. So I have step everything. Right? So there's seven marriages between my mom and my pop. And when I tried to explain what half-brother, half, or I mean uh, uh, stepsister and stepbrothers I would have to my kids, they would look at me like a, like a calf would look at a new gate. They just couldn't figure it out. So I'd say, let me draw it out with a graph. And so I would like, put a little chart together for them so they could see everybody that was connected. But when you have custody issues, you have child support issues, you have issues through the divorce with, with custody issues, there's tremendous hostility and bitterness through the years in those situations. Even among wonderful Christians, Christians that you hang out with are just filled with the love of Jesus until you drop the name of the ex. And then they go, they're of the devil. <laughs> They're always of the devil. They're always of Satan. It's a, it's a deal, isn't it? Why? Because there was so much of life glued together with another person that when you try to pull that apart, it shreds the emotional well-being of the people involved. My mom and dad had been divorced for years since I was five years of age. I got married at 21. It was the first time I saw him in the same room in a very, very, very long time. And we're at our rehearsal for the, the wedding. Tammy and I got married in 1984 in February. And here I am. I'm just head over heels in love with my wife and wife-to-be. And we're at the rehearsal, and my parents are there for the first time in the same room. They haven't been close to each other for many years. And they begin to bicker at my rehearsal. And they're standing behind me, and I hear them. They begin to go, you know, sharp little barbs. I know how it starts. You know, you grow up with that, and the sharp little words start going. As the first time, I'm 21. I've never, you know, I turn around, and I look at my parents. And I said, you too. I said, this is my wedding. This is not happening here. You're going to behave yourself, and you're going to get through today and tomorrow. And that's the way it is. And then I turned around and said, go ahead, minister. You know, and we're, we're, we're going through the house. My parents, well, they minded their P's and Q's for the rest of the, rest of the weekend. I had never talked to them like that. And I just, I just had enough of the bitterness. I'd have enough of the bitterness. And all the stepsisters and stepbrothers along the way the hostility when we would go visit this parent for this holiday and they would be throwing bombs on the other parent. And it's just like, you're like, who needs this? Aye, aye, aye. But that's real life, isn't it? That's real life. We don't live in some little fairy tale. Our life as Christians is filled with joy, but there's heartache in life. And you and I are not exempt of it. 
the broken relationships along the way. And Sarah looks at this teenager mocking her little boy on his special day of being weaned. It's his party. And man, she is ticked off. She's torqued. In verse 10 it says, Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman's slave shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. You kick this lady. Maybe she didn't use that word. We have the context here. This bondwoman, this slave chick. You kick her out and her son with her. I've had it. Up to here. Get her out. That's why we call it tiff in biblical language. And the problem was, though, in verse 11, Abraham's bitterness. Why would that make him bitter? And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, Ishmael. He was tight with Ishmael for 15 or 16 years. He's been invested in this boy. This is his son. It's not Sarah's son. It's Hagar's son. But Abraham, it's a son for him in his old age. And in that old age, and this son, don't you know, he just spent... All this time with, well, this is how you do this, son, and this is how you do this. And, and, and he's just, he's mentoring him, he's training him, because you know when you're older and you've made your career and you've, you've, you've spent the energy to become, and Abraham was, very wealthy, and now you're in this place of leisure. That's the hard thing that, that young families, you work your brains out while you're raising your kids, and the kids go, hey, pop was always gone working, mom was always gone working. And then you finally get to the grandparent and you hey, now I can back off a little. I, I've uh, experienced some success. And, and, that, and you, <laughs> that's why you can hang out with the grandkids and then your own children go, hey, you didn't, hang, you didn't come to my ball games. You didn't come to everything. that I, I know because I was trying to keep a roof over. I was working my brains out. But now I can be a decent grandparent. That's why being a grandparent is a do-over for many of us that were hard workers. It's a little do-over, which is nice. But Abraham is now bitter because he's got he's to send his teenage boy away. The custody issue has taken place. Get out of the house. Get this girl out of the house. The divorce is final. It's over. Now we see God's faithfulness in this. Can God work in this stuff, you guys? Absolutely. Isn't he faithful? This, God, our mess... And Abraham and Sarah and Hagar created this mess. They created this mess. But every time I get myself in a mess, I just invite Jesus and his mercy to come help me. How about you? I've made a lot of messes. I'm like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Jesus, help me. I think that's the great, one of the most powerful prayers in all the New Testament. A Syrophoenician woman who is outside the covenant people of Israel, she comes to Jesus and she says, help me, my daughter's demon possessed. She's got a teenage, you can go, I got a teenage daughter, I think she's possessed too. And sometimes those teenagers uh, seem that way. And she said, no, legit, she's demon possessed, would you help me? And, and that was her prayer, she said, Lord, help me. That was her prayer. Lord, help me. And the Lord healed her daughter and cast out the demon. That's, a, that's the best prayer right now. Some of you just tonight, you're wondering what, just say, Lord, help me. With whatever your situation, just Lord, help me. And I trust you to do it because, Lord, you did it here. You're faithful in your promises. You, you, you helped the Sarah Phoenician woman with her teenager. Lord, you help. Help me. So Abraham's bitter. Sarah's bitter. She's bitter because 
Ishmael's mocking her son. She's had it up to here with this Hagar chick anyway for the last 16 years. And she looks at her husband and this is funny. This was, uh, the Hagar thing was all her idea, but it went, went south. It was all Abraham's fault. Isn't that great? We like it when it goes that way. <laughs> I made a mistake, but it's all your fault. <laughs> but God is faithful. Lord, help me. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight. What do you mean, don't let it be displeasing? This is, this is terrible. Because of the lad or because of your bondwoman, Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. You see, it was listening to her voice that got him into trouble. He should have said no. But now he wants to say no, and the Lord's like, now it's time to say yes. Aren't we always out of time with the Lord's will? We're just always out of timing. I should have said no, but now I don't want, I want to say no, and God wants me to say yes. So he says, hey, you listen to your wife's voice. How, I can't tell you how many times. I mean, literally, I've lost count throughout the years. The Lord's like, listen to your wife. Tammy's talking to me. Reason, wisdom, spiritual insight. Bowed up in my own pride and pig-headed and wanting to do my own thing. The Lord's like, you better listen to her. Okay. And you do it enough. My wife's the wisest counselor that I've ever had, apart from the Lord. Says, listen to her voice. My wife sees things that I don't see. Sarah knows what's going on. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. He says, you see, in this moment, God intervenes. Sarah's upset. Abraham's upset. And God is faithful to come in and says, Abraham, don't, don't let it displease you. I, I'm, I got your back. I'm, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to work this out. You just listen to Sarah. You guys need to have peace. And you see, when there's that separation, when there's that divorce, when, when this, this person leaves, and now there's a primary relationship between a husband and a wife. And for Abraham and Sarah, this primary relationship of a husband and wife, and Hagar now, the ex, let's say, just call her an ex-wife, right? We live in the land of everybody's been married two, three, four, five times. Can I, do I hear six? Right? <clears throat> um, I have a friend that uh, him and I are both Calvary Chapel pastors, and we've been very, very good friends for, uh, I mean, 35 years or so. And his father, who I knew, Gary, passed away recently, but Gary had been married nine times. And, and Gary just had, had remarried his one wife that he had married, actually, she's one that he had married three times amidst the, the nine times with all the women that he married. And he gave his life to the Lord in his later life and, and just suddenly got sick and died. But God's grace had to intervene in Gary's life in a beautiful way and was doing a wonderful work in Gary's life. But you got the, you got the X's and you got the his and the hers and the R's and, and all that stuff. Don't, I want you to know, we're not second-class citizens because we've made a mess of things. Look around. You're in good company. Right? Look around. You're in good company. Here we are, you guys. God doesn't give up on his people. God doesn't give up on any of us. We're not second class. Yeah, maybe we've made some mistakes. But God here now intervenes and he says, you know, Abraham, I want you to do a couple things. I want you to listen to Sarah. I want you to do this. I want you to cast out this bondwoman. It's time for the divorce to officially happen. I want them to go away. But I want you to know that I'm going to take care of your boy, Ishmael. Look what he says again as a promise in verse 13. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your son. He's your seed. I'm going to bless Ishmael because you're my friend. You know, God's going to work in my life 
and my children's lives because I'm asking God to work in my children's lives. How about you? Don't you want your kids and your grandkids, your great-grandchildren to love Jesus? I'm here because I had two grandmothers praying for me. That's why I'm here, because they prayed me into the kingdom. If grandma's praying for you, just give up because they're not going to shut up, so just give up. There's three promises I'd like to share with you that I pray personally in my life with my children. And uh, just to give you a little insight that knowing what God wants to do, and this brings it up in the forefront, that is Genesis 18, 19, the Lord is speaking and he says, I have known him, Abraham, in order that he may command his children that they may keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. The Lord says, the reason I have built a relationship with you, Abraham, is so that you can share this incredible relationship that you and I have with your children. That's what a parent's goal is, to introduce your children to the Lord. And that's why God has rescued you, that he, he might rescue them. And then this is a prayer I pray for my children consistently. Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Why? His descendants will be mighty on earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. I pray, Lord, would you do a work in my descendants that they might be mighty on the earth? I don't know what that means, Lord. I don't know how you're going to work in their life, my son, my daughter, my grandchildren. I don't know what you're going to do. But, Lord, I fear you, and I walk with you. And so you said this is a promise, that my children would be mighty upon the earth. And so, Lord, I just received that promise from you. And then Deuteronomy 7, verses 9 and 10 you go, well, I haven't really walked with God. You know, I got saved late. My kids are all grown. I've made a mess of my life. It's all right. You walking with Jesus now? It says in Deuteronomy 7, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Did you know that if you love God, he's going to keep a covenant and mercy with a thousand generations of your descendants because you personally love him? So I pray that, Lord. I said, notice it's mercy. My family needs a bunch of mercy. How about you? <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're the jacked up, messed up people on the block. <laughs> my sister, we were together, and this used to just horrify my mom. My mom's with the Lord now. All her worries are over. Uh, but my sister, one of the few, about a year before my mom passed away, we were there. And when my brother and my sister and the three of us get together, we start telling all these crazy stories about growing up. And it used to just break my mom's heart because she was the passive person in a very messed up marriage. And my, my sister was 13 years old and my stepdad introduced her to some new friends. They had been drinking. He was, he was pretty lit up. And they had brought my 13-year-old sister there to babysit these strangers' children. They were gonna go out for dinner as a couple, my mom and stepdad and, and them. And when my sister walked in, my, uh, my stepdad said, I want you to meet my fat, ugly, stupid daughter. That's how the way I introduced my sis. Now, first of all, you have to realize my sister, she, she's a, a tough chick. And uh, we grew up really tough. And she looked at him and she snarled. She said, I'm not fat. <laughs> I'm not stupid. And I'm most certainly not your daughter. Well, he was drunk, and he's a violent man. He came off the couch, grabbed my sister, threw her on the ground, put her nose in his mouth, and began to bite my sister's mouth. I mean, uh, nose with his mouth, until the blood began to gush out of my sister's nose. 
From the outside, the teeth marks, it was bleeding. From the inside, it was bleeding. My sister fought him off, ran down the road. It's Phoenix, so like it's 105 degrees. She's walking barefoot down a sidewalk. Won't get in the car. My mom's driving because my stepdad knows she won't get in the car with him, so he's in the backseat hiding. My mom's like, get in the car, get in the car, Shauna. So my sister finally gets in. She's got, you know, blood running down her face, and then she speeds up so she can't jump out of the car, and then my stepdad pops out of the back seat, and they begin yelling and screaming and arguing again. So they pull up into the driveway, and my sister jumps out while the car's still moving, and my stepdad goes, what do you think you're doing? She says, I'm getting the gun, and I'm going to kill your blankety-blank. And so she ran in the house and grabbed, we had a 20-gauge shotgun. She loaded it and ran back out and was going to blow him away. She was going to kill him. My mom knew she was serious, and he was, my stepdad was drunk and kind of Mr. 10-foot tall and bulletproof, but my mom knew my sister. She's like, she'll do it, Tony. And so my mom drove, backed out of the driveway, and she's going through the, the neighborhood, and my sister's running down the street barefoot, 13 years old, blood flowing down her face with a shotgun in her hands. Now, when they pulled into the driveway, it's a Saturday. So, you know, parents are out in the yard. They're mowing the lawn. They're, you know, their kids are playing in the yard. <laughs> and my sister's running down the street with a shotgun chasing the car, yelling. And my sister had a very colorful language. And uh, she was very gifted with her language. And they got away. And when my sister walks around, turns around to come back to the house. There's not a soul on the street. They're all in the houses. They're like peeking out the curtains. Now, some people say that that's a crazy thing. We just call that Saturday at our household. <clears throat> I share some of these stories that I've lived because I want you to know that God in his grace knows what you've been through. He knows where you come from. He knows that last night you were in a full-blown heated fight in your home. And I want you to know that your stumblings, your failures, your weaknesses, your humanness, that God is transforming to change your life. He doesn't give up on you. Abraham and Sarah, they had made quite a mess for themselves. You go, wow, my kids. <laughs> I don't know. God will show mercy to a thousand generations of those who love him. He'll work in your life. Now, Abraham is faithful in that, even though he's heartbroken over Ishmael. In verse 14, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water and put it, putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Say what? You know what he gives her? Hey, here's a loaf of bread. Here's a canteen of water. Adios. Where's she going to go? Is she going to go to the Holiday Inn? No, it's a desert. Go. Leave. <laughs> when God told him to send him out, he's like, okay. In faith, no doubt, Abraham thought this way. If God's gonna take care of my son and he's going to become a great nation, which the Arab nation is a ginormous nation, and Ishmael grew up knowing the God of Abraham. And Abraham had to commit his 
ex-wife, Hagar, and his, half, or his, uh, his son by another woman, not Isaac, had to send them away, and they were not going to be any in part of his inheritance. That's why he's being sent away. Now, Paul the Apostle uses this whole big illustration right here in Galatians chapter 4 to teach a very valuable point that I don't have time to get into. But the reality is, is that he had to do it by faith. Can you just commend, when, when, when it comes to separating in a relationship and even separating and allowing your son or daughter to go be with that ex husband, that ex-wife, even when you know the circumstances are not ideal. In some circumstances, they're flat scary, ministering to people through the years. Hey, my, my ex-husband's a drug dealer, and yet he has custody, and we have to share, and I don't want to send him. And I'm like, yeah, but if you hold him back, what are they going to, they're going to take him away for good. You, I mean, you have to work through this stuff. But you have to be able to say, here's, here's the loaf of bread, here's the jug of water, God's going to take care of you. That's some pretty ginormous faith, don't you think? But is God faithful to intervene? Is God faithful to provide? Is God faithful to help? Well, look at God's faithfulness to Hagar. Does God love Hagar? Yeah. Does God love Ishmael? Yes. Does he love their future? Yes. In verse 15, the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him, at a distance of about a bow shot, about the distance you can shoot a bow and arrow. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. She thinks they're going to die of dehydration, starvation, whatever it might be. They're out of water. He's, it's the hot desert. I can't, I can't watch him die. I, I'm just going to lay him over here, and I'm going to come from here to that back wall so I don't have to watch him breathe his last. She thinks it's over. So she sat opposite him, and he lifted and lifted her voice and wept. So she just begins to cry. You know that single mom that's kicked out with nowhere to go? Got a teenager. He's off the hook. Doesn't know what she's going to do. My mom is a single mom oftentimes with four kids because my stepdad would go in, and pri in prison, out of prison, in prison, out of prison, in prison, out of prison. My mom one day was walking and she was just crying. She had been working as a, my, my mom's fallback job is always bartending. She was bartending at the Sheraton Inn, but she had to wait for two weeks to get her paycheck and she had no money and four kids. Stepdad had just went to prison for selling drugs to an undercover narcotics officer in Phoenix. And she cried out to God. She said, Lord, help me. And she looked down and there in the, the parking lot, there was a $5 bill right after she prayed. She picked up that $5 bill. This is like, uh, like 1972, so five bucks, and at least it, it would uh, buy a, a little bit. But she knew in that moment when the, she prayed and she looked down, there was five bucks. She just knew that God was going to take care of the rest, and he did. He took care of her. He took care of us. I was never hungry my whole life, and yet this is like hand-to-mouth type of dynamic all the time, just trusting God. Hagar's thinking that her son's going to die of dehydration, of starvation. She can't watch it happen. And God intervenes because that's what God said he was going to do to Abraham. He said, it's all right. You kick her out. I'll, I'll take care of them. In verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. What do you mean he heard the voice of the lad? We just heard that Hagar was crying and that she was weeping. But 
He heard the voice of the lad. Did, did Ishmael, who knew the God of Abraham, because he had told him all about him, did he say, Lord, help us? We don't get the prayer of what he said. He just says, I heard the voice of the lad. The angel of God, which is an Old Testament a picture appearance of Jesus, and most theologians believe, that Jesus shows up and called to Hagar out of heaven, and he said to her, what ails you, Hagar? What, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Well, it's pretty obvious what's wrong, right? I'm homeless. <laughs> I got a teenage boy. He's under a bush. He's going to die. You know, it's pretty obvious what's going on. We're, we're gonna, we don't have enough water. We don't have any food. And the Lord says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. It appears that it's not just hearing him mutter. It's not just hearing him cry. It, it appears that the Lord hears the voice of the lad, the teenager, in his desperation. He's crying out to God. Do you know your teenagers, fat, dumb, and happy, have no needs in the world, and yet you don't want them to ever suffer need? You're always trying to protect them from suffering need. It is not until they suffer need in desperation that they will come to God. I've had moms through the years tell me, you know, I just, and I know their story for 20 years. And now, you know, just Johnny's never coming. I said, because every time the Lord gets close to getting Johnny's attention, you rescue Johnny. Stop rescuing Johnny. Stop it. You got to stop, let them come to the end of themselves so mom's not the answer and her checkbook's not the answer and her basement's not the answer and her couch is not the answer and the refrigerator's not the answer. Jesus has to be the answer. So stop rescuing Johnny. Let alone, not only Johnny. What about Jill? How can... Jill's got a teenager. She's out there homeless. My daughter's out there homeless. What, why don't you go ready? Don't you realize that God brings people to the end of themselves so that he is the answer? Some of us have come to the end of ourselves and we're in this room filled with joy. Some of us have not quite yet come to the end of ourselves. Yet it seems like you keep getting the wind socked out of you knocked out of you. And the Lord's, he hears. It says in verse 18, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. What a promise for a mom's heart. Your son, you think is going to die of dehydration under this bush? He's going to become a great nation. The whole Arab people came from Ishmael. In verse 19, And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin of water and gave the lad a drink. It's like she had to have her, op- right in front of her, near at hand was a well, but it's like her vision, she was so blinded by unbelief, she was so blinded by her fear, she was so blinded by her anxiety that she couldn't see the refreshment that was right in front of her face through a relationship with God. The refreshment for your soul, the refreshment for your heart is as close as you reaching out and having the Lord touch your heart and trusting him with his promises. That's how close it is. It's not far away. His help's not, you know, I gotta go around the earth. I have to go over to New York. I gotta run over here. It's interesting to me that people, the way that they go hither and yon, running all over the place, just like, hey, your, your provision is right here near you. Say, Lord, help me. And he'll open your eyes to see the refreshment of the, the living waters, the springs of water that are here. 
And now we see Hagar's joy. A single mom just kicked to the curb, kicked out as homeless, only with a loaf of bread and a canteen of water with her son about ready to die of dehydration. And now she has joy. In verse 20, so God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Can you believe it? This incredible story of God's grace in their lives. The grace of God in their lives to do the work in their lives that she's now, he's growing up, he becomes an archer, he becomes skillful out in the wilderness, she gets a wife for him. They start their life all over anew. A new beginning. You have to be able to let go of what is behind to look forward to where you're going. Some people are going through life driving with looking at their rear view mirror. And if you're driving forward, looking at your rear view mirror, all you do, you're playing bumper cars all through life, right? You're just running into everything because all your work, you, your past and your vision towards your past is crippling you for the future that God has for you because you are so broken by your past. Oh, I've done this and I've done this. Hey, you are a new creation in Christ. His mercies are new every morning. The good work that he began, he's going to complete that good work in you. But as long as you want to continue to be stuck in your past, Paul the Apostle said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, forgetting that stuff that's behind me, and pressing towards the upward call that's in Christ Jesus. So I've got to let go of something to run to something. We are, there's none of us that have to be crippled by our past. We all have one. It might be very, very messy. It's all right. Do you know that out of the mess of your life, God's going to bring a message of hope to other people? He's going to bring out of your mess a message of hope for other people because God's going to bring you through. What you're in right now is going to be a testimony to God's faithfulness in the future. Right? Amen. So they have this incredible hope that's there. Well, there's more to this chapter, and it's an incredible chapter, but I'm going to push the pause because I'll either race through it, and there's some good groceries here, spiritually speaking, that I don't want to give up on. And so we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask right now that, that God would do a work because, you know, for many of us, the work of God's Spirit is something that is, is very customized and unique for each one of your hearts each one of your situations. No two of us are alike. God's got different things going on. So let's pray right now that the Lord by his grace will do a work in each one of our hearts. Lord, we pray that in your grace and by your spirit, you would meet the needs in this room. Lord, we're asking right now that you would, you would help us. Help me. Help us, Lord, with the challenges that are in our life. You are the answer, Lord. You are the hope. You are the one that we look to. And we pray that you would just do a, a refreshing work in each one of our lives. Lord, I just pray right now for those who 
They don't see a way out, Lord. They don't see a way forward. They don't have hope. And it may be some circumstance. It may be some relational conflict as we've been looking at the relational conflicts in this story. It may be financial provision. They don't know how they're going to pay the bills. And Lord, I, I just pray that by your grace and your spirit that you would meet needs here tonight. But by faith, you want us to ask you for your help. You want to hear our voice like you heard the voice of the lad. You want to, you want to hear our voice like you heard Hagar. And Lord, we need you to open our eyes that we would see the well of refreshment that's right at hand, right, right in front of our face, and we can't even see it. If you've got a need that you just want to see the Lord meet, it might be a relational need, it might be a financial need, a physical, whatever it is, we don't need to know what it is. I want to just invite you by faith to stand up, and we're just going to pray that the Spirit of the Lord does a work in that situation. Just stand up. Maybe you're praying for somebody that's on your heart. God bless you guys. And we're just going to agree together as a family and Jesus here tonight for God to help us, for God to intervene, for God to do his work. Lord, you see the, the men and the women in the room that are standing up. And, and Lord, by standing, we're all just saying, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, Lord, help us. Lord, hear our voice. Hear our cry. Hear our, our heart's desire. Hear, hear all that you want to, to do, Lord, in our lives. Hear, hear, Lord. Hear our cry. Hear our prayer. And I just pray that you would you would meet that need. Lord, that you would meet it in such a special way, a unique way, a supernatural way. Open our eyes that we see the provision right in front of our face. Bring that refreshment and bring the hope of the future just as you gave that hope to Abraham and to Hagar about the future of the teenage son, Ishmael, that he would be a great nation. Lord, put the hope that you're going to do a work in our children's lives. And so, Lord, we just commit all these requests that have ascended to you like a sweet-smelling aroma rising to you, Lord. May you receive those and may you answer according to your will. But, Lord, we pray urgently for some of these, Lord. There's a real need. There's a real need, Lord. So please, Lord, work and move. And we want to thank you by faith in advance for how you're going to do it and what you're going to do, even though we can't, we can't see it with our own physical eyes. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.